This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HardcoreHusky.com, covering Washington Huskies football with message boards full of debauchery and childlike wonder. Folks who are well-known in cyberland and not that dumb, except for our little fudgy who is wrong about everything. So come join the gang and register today for free at HardcoreHusky.com. And now it's time for the show. Another one. Way to bed. I'm out. I, you know, with Hitler, the more I learn about that guy, the more I don't care for him. Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a color man. <laughs> you know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. The weather is perfect, the field is fast at the Rose Bowl for tonight's ball game. Probably the worst team. I don't even want to say like conference team. I would maybe even say just like non fat. Non F like I would say FBS team I've ever seen. Elite the Huskies probably ever play. Uh, so if they played the 08 Huskies, you think that they would uh, lose? Well, I was going to say there's context of like you know Washington's if you know Washington's had shittier teams and played teams that sucked and you know that wouldn't have been able to do that. But I mean I don't know that was that was I haven't watched Colorado play a game all season and I was shocked at how bad they were. <laughs> I mean it was like. I think it was that with really the, the McMillan. Was it the first touchdown or the second touchdown where McMillan had it? And, like, I feel like three <laughs> guys, Not it wasn't even bad tackling. I feel like they just didn't want to tackle it. They, like, didn't even try. I was, like, shocked of, like, are these home and I don't want to hurt my shoulder. So, <laughs> go. I mean, that was, yeah, well, that was, they were terrible. Cut, cut Waffle on, in the game thread right after that play. He attributed the poor tackling from Colorado to the fact that he, he felt the entire Colorado defense was afflicted with Lou Gehrig's disease. So, <laughs> I mean, so then, that, you know, so I chimed in with, uh, you know, that, something like uh, that would have been a good segment for Tom Rinaldi or whatever then, but. Uh, I mean, going uh, so the, pessimistic. I'm so pessimistic. I convinced myself I'm like they're going to be beat up. They're going to want to go for the Apple Cup. Like maybe Colorado makes this a game, but then like literally like by after both teams had the ball one time, I was like, oh, this is going to be like it, this is only going to be whatever Washington wants to score, and Colorado will probably get like a you know ten points or something in garbage time. So I was like, oh, that's nice. But then, yeah, I kind of like I paid attention, but I honestly. I left with like 13 minutes left and don't have too much of a great memory of exactly what happened. Well, when I saw, I was, I probably came to that conclusion after the, after both teams had two series or after Colorado had had the ball twice because they were just like in this run, run heavy thing. And they obviously were going to try to stretch our defense vertically for some bizarre reason. And uh, so I was like, this is like, 
there was like no sense of resistance against us at all in that game. There was zero tension. It was uh, it was worse than a spring game, really. Do you think that was worse? A worse Colorado team than any of the uh, like the John Embry teams? Part of a Buffalo? <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember uh, that? I can't remember. I it's, it's, I know I remember that, but I can't remember specifically what it was. It was like uh, I might be I may not be giving him enough credit, but it seems like they had just they beat San Jose State or something, and then he had his team gathered around him, and he was screaming at him that they had a heart of a buffalo, and then they like lost the next seven in a row or something, and I'll need to look that up to see, but. <laughs> And then he got fired, yeah. and then uh, they went and got, I think, the Michigan State, the current Michigan State coach, I think. I, I, I think that Embry preceded uh, – I'm forgetting the guy's name now. No, they have the uh, they have the uh, Mike McIntyre or whatever for, I don't know, like four or five seasons, I think. They, they hired him really? from San Jose State. Yeah. Yeah, Mel Tucker was there for one year. Mel Tucker, that's the name I was thinking of. Okay. Well, I know he was in and out pretty quick, but I thought he was – I thought Embry preceded Mel Tucker. Apparently I'm wrong, so. No, nah, there was Mac – there was like a weird Mike McIntyre where they, they like won the South the year the Huskies won, you know, the 2016, but then like immediately were terrible again. And then I think he got fired. Uh, then they had Mel Tucker for like one year. He went like five and seven, and then Michigan State hired him for – Unknown reasons. Uh, a five yeah. and seven coach they hired. Yeah, of a of a team that won like ten games. Yeah, they won like ten games like two or three years before it too. So it wasn't like he was like you know coaching. Uh, trying to think of the best example of like Kansas or something even like Colorado obviously sucked, but like Colorado was like a couple years off of going to like the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> he went five and seven, and they were like, "Oh, gotta, how could you not hire this? How could you not hire that guy?" Like, I would hire Mike Mac. Like Mike McIntyre was like far better than him. I just uh, I just googled uh, Colorado Buffalo's coaches and uh, Mike Sanford, who's the interim coach. He, his picture came up here, and the guy looks like uh, clean cut and young and healthy. And the guy that I saw yesterday on the sideline looked like he had been sleeping in the park and was in his late fifties. Well, maybe he's stressed trying to trying to get that job full time, uh, <laughs> which maybe he will. Because uh, I mean, I don't. That's a that is a very hard, difficult job. Uh, I do not know who who is who is going to take that job, uh, especially because they were saying. I uh, hearing a lot of commentary during the week of like that they absolutely cannot get transfers because they're like we're they're like worse than UW now or UW used to be where like they don't take a bunch of credits and they don't take like general studies stuff so like no one can transfer there <laughs> like hmm. they're so fucked they're really fucked uh, though they have really? had a couple transfers they had a there? couple trans- I-, I don't know because they have like a Auburn I never heard thing. that yeah maybe they, I'm they not saying like, you're wrong uh, I'm just no, maybe yeah, it was like yeah. a Colorado guy kind of dooging uh, that I heard because they do. They have had a couple linemen recently, I think from like Auburn and Notre Dame, but 
the truth is there ha- there probably has to be truth to it because they don't have they don't take that many transfers, uh, you know, especially if you're tra- the program that's trying to rebuild, uh, and it, they got raided by everyone uh, in the wonderful world of modern college football, where your, your conference fucking opponents can now raid your team like they're a fucking uh, like it's a fucking fish hatchery, like an Oregon and USC just took Colorado's best players, like. Uh, what a great way to describe uh, it. Yeah, what a well, it's fucking it's bullshit. The the transfer portal thing. I mean, we have a million things against it, but like, how are you supposed to exist as Colorado if not only better programs can take just take any player you have that shows potential, but on top of it, like a team you have to play every year. Like that just is insane to me. That's that's tough. And by the way, uh, I will acknowledge for the second time in two weeks I was wrong about something. Um, that um, look at this this thing here. And John Emery, he got fired in 2012. So that's my Rip yeah. Van Winkle moment there, I guess. Um, I thought he preceded Tucker back in 2018, but you guys are right. Mac, Mike McIntyre was there from. 13 to 18. So, anyways, just wanted to acknowledge that. So, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to, uh, yeah. It couldn't be, couldn't be Colorado with, with, like, his best team, or couldn't be Washington with his best team, like <laughs> McIntyre. But, but they lose, but they lose to, you know, shitty Mel Tucker and even shittier Carl Durrell. God, so bad. It's a new era, though. We're done with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I Colorado is uh hang on here. I know this is terrible radio if I'm sitting here doing this, but <laughs> hang on. So I was trying to read the thing and I'm trying to click the link. Well apparently Colorado played in the Rose Bowl way back around nineteen hundred, but now I'm looking never mind what I'm saying here because I don't know why that thing said that because their name's nowhere to be found here, so I was going to say, oh, I didn't know that, but never mind. Oh. So, anyways, I let's, mean, let's keep this interesting. What? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I mean, it was just kind of sitting there. It's just kind of like it was like two things to me with Colorado. Of Like, one, it's just so weird and kind of sad to see a program that, you know, for a long time, you know, probably up until like the mid-2000s was like from like the 80s to the mid-2000s was like, you know, they were – borderline power like this, they would have brought in a good team they would have had traveling fans they would have uh you know been a, an interesting team and the two i mean it's also got it makes me appreciate that washington did not become colorado because they easily could have at a, a few points in time uh i don't think i think the population base and the demographic cal. <laughs> yeah no yeah, I'd, right. rather be, I'd rather be fucking cal than colorado i mean uh no, but they like uh like thank God Washington did not become Colorado uh because that was depressing. They had about in our section, I think I saw like seven fans and they were literally laughing about it. they were like laughing like pretending like they were cheering uh before the game even started like they knew they were going to get killed so bad. So uh yeah, that that's my only thoughts on that. Or you could, uh, you know, there was two different times in the first half yesterday where the Huskies scored touchdowns, and then the 
TV camera pans in to uh, the like the student section or whatever, and you see you, there's a girl on her phone, and, and this guy's kind of staring <laughs> up into space and not clapping, and <laughs> and then they did that one. I think I know and then, exactly and what you're talking about. <laughs> and then they scored again, and they went to the exact same camera angle and zoom in and everything, and it was the yeah. same thing, the same. The same guy standing there looking up into space with the confused look, and the girl's on her phone, and it was like half the people there didn't even know what was happening or whatever. It was just like, you know, God of the days where, you know, you the camera would zoom in on the Husky Stadium crowd at the moment following a, a touchdown, and they're waving bones, and everybody's throwing confetti and shoving each other, and uh, it's, you know, I don't know. And that picture that whoever posted about when the team was running out of the tunnel last night, and it was just so dreary. It was like a a last-place CFL team running onto the field or something in front of their own fans or something, and it was just like – and you could call me a little bit of a hypocrite in that I wasn't there and that I'm sitting here complaining about the fans or pointing out the fans or whatever, but uh, nevertheless, it's just kind of like, you know, it's a senior night, Michael Penix, probable last game and everything and it's just um the the Oregon game did not move the needle in that regard so I mean I I thought it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be going to the really? game as far as yeah I thought there were more people uh hmm. especially considering it was like 35 we all knew it was going to be a frozen game Colorado is who they are uh and you know considering that uh, you know, what Husky football has done to everybody. And I, I was kind of surprised. And I thought there was some decent crowd noise to the point where I was looking behind me a few times to wonder if they were piping in noise because it was actually <laughs> fairly loud. I'm serious, though. I did a few times. Like, no, I believe back, you. Cause I, like, I was, like, behind me, like, specifically behind me, I was like, there's some decent noise here for this game. Uh, well, that's good. So I wonder if they were. but then I, I didn't I hear it, it on not- the TV. Yeah, I didn't think it was bad at all. I mean, especially all the things considered. But, I mean, it's also a side gripe, too, where I'm like, the Pac-12 is, a, you know, unlike a conference that has a lot of, you know, half the conference is in warm weather areas. Like, for the northern schools, like, only schedule game, home games, like, for rivalry or, you know, regional games in November – or put them on the road in a warm weather area. Like I don't get why they don't. They should do that. I mean, there's no reason to put in a mid, late November game against Colorado uh, in Seattle at the end of the year. It's just fucking stupid when they could just be. You know, you could play your game at ASU or at Cal at the end of the season where it's going to be you know 71 degrees at night. Uh, or, but if you, you know, I mean, or if you have the Apple Cup or it's Oregon or even to a lesser extent Oregon State, you know, people are going to come to that game no matter what the weather is. But, like, I don't know. I, I might be overthinking it, but I, I don't get why the Pac-12 doesn't take advantage of the fact that they have good weather places to make enjoyable fucking fan experiences. Well, we're going to wait six days before the actual game before then <laughs> releasing the fact that, you know what I'm going to say, right? That uh, oh, yeah. 7.30 kickoff in Pullman, late November. Sure, yeah, why not? Sure. Why can't you just have 
I mean, I think everybody would probably agree. Why not? If you're going to put us on the Pac-10 network, Pac, excuse me, Pac-12 network and all, like, just have a 10 a.m. kickoff then or something. Everybody would probably <laughs> prefer that. And I'm being serious. Oh, no, uh, yeah. You know, well, I mean, or 11 a.m. or whatever, 10 a.m. Well, this week, this weekend they put the they had two games in Arizona, and one of them was on the Pac-12 network, and both of those kicked off at like 11 a.m. and noon, and they scheduled there the one go. in they scheduled the one in Seattle and Eugene at late. Like it just makes no sense. Like why? I'm sure it was going to be like 65 at night in Arizona for those games, uh, and that's probably part of their culture too. People who live down there, it's like, Oh yeah, you'll go to a night game where (laughs) yeah, it's just, it's just another continued thing of poor fan experience, not thinking of the bigger picture. Uh, and then yeah, next week is just psychotic. They keep doing that. Like seven 30, it's going to be like, and then again, it also affects your play too. I mean, like, uh, I don't think it looks like it's going to be dry. So I think Washington should be fine, but it's not, uh, it, it, I'm sure they'd much rather play at 12:30 when it's going to be like 45 degrees, and uh, instead they're going to make it a weird, a weird experience. And it's obviously, you know, nobody outside of the state of Washington is going to care about this particular game, and so you just stick us in a in a in a dark place like 7:30 on the Pac-12 network. Um. I, I just uh, I don't know, and I you know, and I don't and just personally I don't like where it's like you have to wait all day for that game and everything and um, I don't know I, I thought and I thought you I put it really well because we had that thread that's been on the boards since either this morning or yesterday I think it's since yesterday but Willie you you made that post about you know like if you're trying to plan your trip from Seattle area over to Pullman and like, you don't even know what time you don't know whether to schedule to make uh, reserve a hotel. And then if you, when they announce the time, then you're in the mad rush with everyone else trying to grab the minimal amount of hotels they have over there, uh, hotel rooms. Um, it just, it just, it's like the fans are about, you know, the 14th priority and all this. Uh, when when they're the ones paying for everything, but then you could say, well, it's the TV money, Derek, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of I don't know, disillusioned or cranky over all that. It's just don't feel like it's handled very well. I know I'm talking, preaching to the choir here with you guys, but. Well, well yeah, so, I, I, I agree. Yeah. It, <clears throat> one thing I, uh, one thing I always, you know, complain about with, with my, uh, you know, my, my friend that I took to the game yesterday is, uh, I'm always like, always complaining, you know, the both of us, like why, why wouldn't the PAC 12, they're worried about, uh, they're worried about attendance in, you know, every one of their, you know, every one of their stadiums, why wouldn't they just wait till the NFL schedules came out and then, you know, see like, Huskies go down to USC next year. Like, why won't they just wait till the NFL schedule comes out? Put the USC and, and Husky game same weekend as the Seahawks play in the Rams. You know, it's like that might be you know, asking get, a little you, much, but but I hear you in regards. Well, to I mean, the, you'll just get a little boost, you know, with uh, with more you know more fans and 
and stuff coming, you know, going to sure. the game. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why, because I think it was 2000 and it was like 2013, I think. Uh, I think the Huskies played at Stanford on the same weekend uh, the Seahawks played uh, at, yeah. at the Niners. I remember. It was like, yeah, it was like people that went down there for that whole weekend said it was like one of the funnest weekends. You know, they. I think Nacho had. was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think <laughs> I think both both of our home teams lost those. I think uh, what, <laughs> I think that was the game that Safarian uh, Jenkins like dropped a wide open seam route, you know, and and uh, I mean the Seahawks won the Super Bowl that year, but that was one of the few losses. It was like a, it was like a twenty well, to twenty to fourteen game or something to the Niners or something like that. But that was where the legendary quote from Sark came in the post game, where he said that the the replay refs in the booth didn't understand the emotions on the field. That's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you remember? All time Sarkism. All time Sarkism. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, what does that like, have to do with anything? He, he wanted a replay on the emotions. <laughs> like, you go back you know, and we look see at what we film, see, but. Washington sideline's pretty upset, though. Yeah, let's go ahead and give it to him. Larry Scott just texted us back. He said, do it. You know, it's like, it was just, uh, I don't know. Well, that was kind of the, the, the legend of Land Clark was created that night. Yeah. He, uh, he came back, yeah, because it was like, a, wasn't it a Kevin Smith, like Kevin Smith dropped it or hit the ground or something, and... uh yeah, it was like Lane Clark comes back and he says, uh, after review, well, the ball hit the ground. Game's over. <laughs> it was like he just said it like it was just so matter-of-factly. And it was like yep. – it was like I remember. Like that that seems pretty unprofessional there, Mr. Ref. <laughs> and then he became uh, – and then he became public enemy number one, you know, for a few years. Now he's an NFL ref. So, Flan Clark, terrible. And he's the one that always likes to show off the guns, right? Yeah, I think yeah, I think he's always wearing a short sleeve. But so, do you guys want to uh, field questions, or I think the Colorado game's been put to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a yeah. I've, I've got a question. Uh, sure. Who who's who's your guys' favorite Coug of all time? Hmm. Interesting question. That's a yellow, yellow snow level question. I've got to say, if uh, if Gardner Minshew was on the Huskies, you know, I mean, he would have been a pretty pretty cool guy to root for. I I like Minshew. Like you think you think about that season that he had there. Remember, they had come off of that uh, the Tyler Helinski thing, you know, in the in the off season. And that was like a. Oh, that's right. That program yeah. was like, yeah, that program was like down and down and you know, saddened program. And you know, he comes in with his porn stash and his, you know, his Daisy Dukes and whatnot, and fucking looks like he's just just having a fun time there. And yeah, 
kind of got the kind of got that uh, program in town into a positive vibe that year. So. I'm I'm kind of thinking back over the years, and like the name Steve Broussard pops into my head because I always liked the way he ran. But there's really no Cougs that I ever really latched onto. Um, <laughs> Uh, what prompted that question, Joey? <laughs> I, because because I think I think that was uh, shit. I writ, I wrote that down like a long time ago to bring up on the podcast. But because <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think I was just thinking like I think Minshew is the only Cougar player I I I, I ever liked. Like I just, you know, you know, it's just not. I mean, your, yeah, and it's I, weird. And it's weird. It's an in-state team. You see, you know, it's just so weird the uh, the the split the splitting of the fan base is like. You know, I, I only know a few people who are like who are like, oh yeah, I root for the Cougars, just not in the Apple Cup. Like I don't I don't know as many as many of those fans, as, you know, probably should, and you know, we probably should all all be like that, but, but, but we're not, you know, and I'm one of them. Fuck them. I don't, I don't, I don't root for them. Fuck them. Well, I mean, I was even thinking this morning, uh, when I was doing some, uh, work on the site, uh, hardcore Husky. And I was thinking, isn't it weird? Like all the traffic we've had, you know, especially over the last six years or so, uh, or, you know, going back to 2015, 16, when it really started to spike, um, that we don't have we don't have more cougs like hanging around and lurking around the side and being annoying and everything. You know, we got we have ducks and, and part of that is because I created the duck board, so that brings them in a little bit like a bird feeder, I guess, but it's uh no pun intended, but it's like um isn't it weird that we live in a state where there's a bunch of cougar fans and like you know, you got creepy coog but he doesn't ever really talk up he talks up Miami more than he talks up WSU. You know, and we got Cougs with two, the guy that spells his name with the two or three Z's at the end. And he sends me $129 every year, and but he never posts. <laughs> that's about it. Fudgy's yeah. over there now. I Something weird might have happened with that fan base, or they might not have come back from the depth of the Paul Wolf years because... I just feel like, especially with how good they were under Leach for so long, it just does not feel like they have much of an online presence. They don't really feel like out and about in, you know, the state you see them that much. They're not as, <clears throat> I feel like at the Apple Cup when it's in Seattle, I feel like there's less of them like than it was like in the early 2000s. Hmm. I feel like in the early 2000s, hmm. I feel like, uh, and I, I moved away, but I still, I came up, I was at almost every Seattle Apple Cup. I'm all over online. And yeah, I just feel like the Coug, the Coug, uh, I feel like you see a lot less people wearing Coug stuff around uh, up here. It's just, yeah. yeah, it feels like, it feels like, when both, it. Pro, yeah, when both programs tanked in the late 2000s, it feels like the Huskies came back. There's still an extent to that with the Huskies, I think, but I feel like the Cougs, Especially given how much success they had on their leech, just like maybe losing all those apple cups really took it out of them too. Uh, they just it does not feel like there's. It feels like something happened, and they just never really came back. 
Well, you know, what was it, about 15 years ago, I was on Jim Walden's radio show, and he and I were talking either before, or it must have been before, must have been before, uh, before it, but, um, but we were kind of, I think he was, I think he was partially joking, partially serious, but he was talking about when he coached, it, the team went one and 10 every year. Uh, if as long as that win was against the Huskies, it was a successful season. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> That's how some of them think though. That's how some of those fans, think. you know, you know, there was a lot of outcry, like, does Mike Leach get it how much this game means to us, you know, and, and he's finishing 10 and three every year or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, man, you guys, wow. I mean, granted, it would be frustrating, you know, it's like, you know, they, they're kind of the. That's losing to Oregon. The, yeah. Huskies and Oregon, they're kind of the opposite of the Huskies in Oregon, but you know, so it would be frustrating, but. But it's not like they have this long-standing tradition of beating the Huskies every year, you know, like like the Huskies had with Oregon, you know, that all of a sudden it just flips on a dime. Uh, you know, one, one season just flips everything on a dime. But, you know, they just have like this, you know, we we this game just means so much to the fans and he doesn't realize it. Like, God, you know, really? Man, I always said they focused on that. I was said they focused on the wrong W, which is like they focus on Washington instead of, you know, winning. But uh, oh, that's uh, kind of how some fan bases are, you know. Yeah, but, but yeah. now they're don't call us Wazoo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't remember if we talked about the podcast before, but yeah, I mean, like what Joey said is like exact, and you know, I know a lot of Coog fans. Uh, and that was totally true where we're like, it was like an experiment. It's like, you're going to win 10 games every year and go be relevant and go to real bowl games, but you're going to lose to the Huskies every year. And like every single Coug fan was like, no, I'd rather go four and eight and, but win the Apple cup, <laughs> not <laughs> even every year, not even every year, but they're like every third year, like, uh, yeah, I'd much rather do that than be, you know, uh, I don't think they would do that over or, I don't think they would take that over like, you know, winning a Rose Bowl or going to a Rose Bowl, but they definitely would take it over being like just a relevant, good college football team. Because, uh, yeah, there is some of that, too, with the Huskies where you're like, uh, would you trade one win over Oregon uh, for two wins, you know, for two wins, otherwise, like two losses, and you're like, mm, some years, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, I'll, I, w- I would trade losing. 2019, like, yes. Yeah, you're like I would trade lose the I would rather lose to Cal and lose to like Arizona, but then when you beat you beat Oregon, uh, uh, that was the thing. But yeah, the Coug the Coug extent of it is just fucking psychotic. So I don't know. Maybe if they win, maybe if they win Saturday, that'll get their stoke their fire again. If they can pull off, you know, get a big upset, you know, uh, really hurt Washington's, uh, you know, bowl. Uh, bull hierarchy, which is most likely what it'll be for. I, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna make the conference championship. But yeah, maybe that'll maybe that'll wake them up two in a row. Though I could definitely see Oregon State beating Oregon, and I'm not alone in that. I know, but um... I could, I could. I just, I don't, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I just, I feel like once it came out that you know, Nick was 
starting and the whole thing, I think it's a lot of fucking Paul Pierce in that wheelchair in the finals. <laughs> like what? Like he <laughs> like twisted his ankle and then he like came out on a wheelchair and he was gone for like eight minutes and he was right back in the game. And it was like, he tried to be heroic. I, I think they have a lot of that shit going on and it's just like, they're going to fucking win that game. The Beavers still fucking suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, uh, I I uh, I don't I don't think they're a great team or anything, but uh, I wouldn't say they suck. I mean, I I was impressed with their defense, but uh, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, no, we um, got to focus on the Apple Cup. Yeah, we got to focus on the Apple Cup. And by the way, there was a thought that popped into my head a few minutes ago. And before we get to the posters questions, let me pose this question to you guys. About five or six weeks ago in one of our podcasts, I was just kind of pleading out, out loud, you know, that if the if the coaches could just get the defensive secondary to improve 2% every week, you know, at least let's be trending in the right direction. And you can't use yesterday as a judgment, I don't think, because Colorado was so run-heavy and so pathetic. Um, but just generally speaking, do you guys get the sense that the coaches have gotten a uh, bit of improvement of the, out of the DBs? I know Green got torched badly, and uh, I saw a replay of that touchdown in the second half. But um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not holding out my hope for the DBs. I, I don't know. I, I I'll need to see it against the Coug. So. Okay. But after the Oregon game, did you feel they were at least 2% better? I still think they're terrible and they suck. I'm not saying we're good. I'm saying that they fared. And, and by the way, Oregon ran the ball 51 times for reasons I don't understand, as I said last week. Um, I, you know, They should have thrown, a, you know, they should have run 35 times and thrown 43 times instead of 28 times. But, um Anyways, maybe well, I mean, more really, of Oregon running so much. They really only had the two big, two big pass plays last week against Oregon. So I mean, granted, mm-hmm. those were those are bad. I mean, wasn't wasn't Hampton was burned on one of them? And yeah, yeah, but they ran so much in the first half, and that was a big reason why they were held to ten points. Yeah, so, yeah, I think okay. We can address yeah. the question next week. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. – go, continue. Hopefully I haven't doomed us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's start heading down the stretch here. Uh, let's let's look at some of the questions from uh, the thing here. And here's the uh, obligatory uh, from Fetters Nacho Lover. Uh, question for anyone who went to all the home games, did the quality of nachos improve from the beginning of the season? Joey, you upvoted that, so – Take it away, big fella. Oh, I just upvoted it for, you know, the redundancy <laughs> of the question. <laughs> I, uh, can you even get nachos? I don't even I don't know. I, I had some from the Stanford game. I had oh, some okay. at the Stanford game. They were uh, marginal. Atrocious. Uh, <laughs> they were uh, They were about, <laughs> and I like a good fake cheese nacho. Uh, yeah, but it was about as good as Washington's pass defense this year. I'll put it that way. Ooh, <laughs> says the Seattle Times. 
Yikes. <laughs> I was insanely hungover that game, though, and tired and starving, so they did taste pretty good, I will say that. Context. Okay, here's a very interesting question from UW Dugbot, who will be on our on our podcast sometime in the, I would say, within the next six to eight weeks or something, somewhere in there. Um, he says, what would this team's record be with Demo starting? And then he wants Whoa. to know about Heward. I'm trying not. I tried no. not. I thought. I thought about that for a second yesterday, and I just literally tried to block it out. <laughs> I didn't want to picture. Oh. I was like, I don't want to picture a world because, yeah, uh, I think I came up with like six and five. I mean, I don't know if I need to go into every single game, but like, no, no, I no. would. I would say six and five or five and six. I mean, they got the two gimme non-conference games. I think they pull out a very close one against Michigan State. Then uh, in conference, they probably beat, like, they beat Stanford, probably, uh, Colorado, and maybe that's it. Like, other than that, maybe they sneak one. They went, I don't know. That, those are the only ones I'd be confident in saying they would fucking win. I mean, I don't, I find, I think he's far beyond a Ronnie Fouch, and I know my opinion is in the minority because, Everybody's decided to gang up on poor Dylan Morris on the boards, but um, I, I would say though that seven and four would be the tops, and probably six and five, if I had to pick a number or a record. Um, and we don't our, our run game has come along as the season has progressed, but we certainly didn't have one at the beginning. And you know, um, I think everybody, I, I think yesterday with Telepapa getting the three TDs, I think that was kind of their tribute to him. To to show the appreciation for transferring and being a captain and helping bolster the the team and all that, but um, he's certainly not a number one running starting running back in the Pac-12, such as the Pac-12 is these days. But uh, part two of UW Dugbot's question is: Is Sam Heward basically done since we didn't even see him in garbage time? I'm gonna guess yes. Yeah, that's. I think he's gone. Well, you know, portal. I think we, I think we, you know, we, we mentioned it. We, you know, we left, we left like right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even notice that he didn't play till this morning when I was looking at the, you know, looking at the box scores. So, I, I, I just kind of assumed like, oh, they'll give him the last drive of the game or something, you know, but. Yeah, didn't even get him in. That's crazy. If you're not going to get in for the Colorado game, what is, what does that say? You know that that might even be if we look if we dare to peer too deeply into this. Uh, that might even be the coaches kind of expressing their feelings toward maybe his attitude. That's me completely guessing. I don't know anything in terms of anything inside or, or whatever. But, you know, you see you see Morris, he's always uh, seems like very much a team player and always encouraging and enthusiastic on the sideline, even though the starter position was taken away from him. And uh, and then, you know, you, I remember seeing that thing early in the season where Heward went over, or not Heward, Morris went over to, like, give Heward a high five and Heward turned his back and walked away and that kind of thing. And it was just like, okay. So... You know, well, this yeah, is what, I don't. This is what I was worried about when. This is what I was worried about when he committed. It was like, oh, we got we got this five star quarterback that 
you know, that lands in our lap, you know, this in-state five-star quarterback that, you know, it was basically a matter of time before he committed to play here. But he goes all these seven-on-seven camps, and nobody wants to come with him. He can't recruit any anybody from these seven-on-seven camps that, to come over. I remember you, I remember that, yes. I remember you saying that. I think maybe McMillan played on uh, – I shouldn't say no one. I think, I think maybe McMillan played on one of his teams. But then there was like – you know, he had like Troy Franklin on one of his, you know, seven-on-seven elite passing teams or whatever. And, you know, and Troy Franklin goes to play for transfer after transfer after transfer, you know, down in Oregon. I, I just found it odd, you know. Well, I remember a cold November night um, when Woodenville. I was covering Woodenville, and they were playing. They were playing uh, Kennedy Catholic down in uh, at Renton Memorial, and I remember on the sidelines watching, and I'm looking across, and I'm seeing uh, Savelle Smalls uh, standing at midfield by himself. And like doing a stare down of the entire Woodenville team, like uh, you know Cam Newton style, and uh, and then Heward's over there warming up and zipping passes all over, and I'm thinking, oh wow, you know, I wonder how our good secondary is going to handle it. And then Woodenville was ahead 38 to seven at halftime, and uh, and I don't remember the final score, but it was something. I think it was like 55 34 something like that. Um, and then after the game, I was talking to. Uh, uh, to Wayne, the head coach at Woodenville and stuff. And after the interview was done and we started walking across the field toward the, toward the locker room together. And I was saying, you know what? I got to say, um, I thought that, um, that, uh, that Sam Heward was going to give you guys a lot more trouble than he did. And he looked at me and just kind of, and he's a very, uh, Wayne is a very, um, Wayne Maxwell is a very, um, Almost, I would say soft-spoken and very, God, what's the word I want? Unassuming type of, I mean, he can get fired up when he's trying to get his team going and stuff, but he's, uh, generally speaking, very soft-spoken and unassuming and stuff, which is a likable quality. Um, but he, he kind of just gave me a wry smile, and then he said, you know, w- when we were studying film there, we saw several things that led us to, we weren't really actually too worried about him at all. And I was like, oh, oh wow. whoa. <laughs> and, that, and that's like... <laughs> That's literally what he told me, almost verbatim, if not verbatim. So, and I was like, "Well, so much for maybe our five star." <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think I Smalls think, has made made any impactful oh, plays. Yeah, and as I posted, I'm sorry to interrupt, but at at that time uh, in that same game, and I posted on the boards later, I was watching Smalls. And if the play was away from him, he was loafing, you know. And and he really didn't have much of an impact defensively. Rushing-wise, based on my memory, I think he ended up running for 60 or 70 yards when it was all said and done, so he had some impact there. Defensively, he was nothing, and I thought he was going to be this monster. So, but sorry yeah, to interrupt. I, the, the one game they had that was on TV, like, that season, uh, their their senior year or, or his senior, I think he's a great. Uh, he's a year above Sam, I think, right? But uh, who was? Yeah, they 
I think Savell is I think he's a year above Sam Heward, right? I think they came out I the think, same year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know. We'd have to. I just remember the one. There's one game that was actually televised. They were playing at Kennedy, um, and Savelle Smalls. He ended up getting hurt. He ended up getting like a like a concussion or something. Like he got knocked out or something. But uh, even before that, like I would watch him, and I was like, I, I was like, man, I'm. He 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 wasn't like. You know, when you see like a high school player that's that's just like a man amongst boys, like you're you're just immediately you know impressed or whatever, like right mm-hmm. away. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was looking at him. I was like, man, he's he's like he's supposed to be six four, like two forty in high school. And I was like, he doesn't even stand out. And then he 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 uh, wasn't making plays in that game. And I was just like, oh man. I hope we didn't get like we didn't get like trapped into this, you know, like kid was a four star in seventh grade and nobody's just ever down downgraded him at all. You know. A typical UCLA stud, right. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see here. Here you're alive. This is where Not he goes here. into the pin and teller thing. <laughs> no, I uh, where you tell her. I mean, I, I Sam Heward is. Uh, I I don't have high hopes for the situation. Uh, I, I was the same. I didn't. I assumed he got in because I didn't even look at anything until today. And then I was like, oh, I, I well, I thought maybe he even got in and they he just didn't throw a pass or something. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I hope he. I hope he's at least around for next year to compete one more time. And then if you're like, okay, he doesn't win the job, he probably isn't very good. But then my question is, where is he going to go? Uh, I mean, that's probably more of an off-season, off-season topic. But, I, yeah, like who is necessarily wants him as their – like to transfer to them? So uh, Northern Iowa? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I don't – like in conference, I don't even know. I'm sure like – no. Come on, <laughs> yeah, and I don't think he can transfer with his family. He can't transfer any confidence, but like, where's he gonna go then? Like Purdue or like somewhere like you're like Vanderbilt. No, it'd be in Northern Iowa. Like, Northern yeah. Iowa. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I'm not joking. He'd follow. He'd follow Shane Fortney. You know, you're going gung ho on the barnstormers, huh? <laughs> I I feel like he'll go to he'll go to Iowa or Wisconsin. He'd be the perfect guy for either of those schools. Like a six two. 195 white guy who's not athletic, who's like uh, nothing special in there, uh, who can't make a play in big time. Uh, so maybe he'll go He's to one Tanner of those. Tanner McKee, who throws a nice spiral. Tanner McKee. Tanner, he's small. Yeah, he's small, better passer, Tanner McKee. You're right. Tanner's much taller, but. He can go to Mississippi State and go play with uh, yeah. Mike Leach. But he, he, yeah. you know. Look, he he throws a gorgeous spiral if someone's running a you know a fade route down the sideline or something. But he he has no he has no anticipation or touch or feel uh, uh, when the pressure's on and the pocket's collapsing and someone's crossing the middle. Um, he's he's 
it's one of those things where I've seen enough, you know. And and, and maybe we're sitting here, you know, you know, ten months from now, laughing because you were just led us to a win over USC in the Coliseum or something. But you know, <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? But um, I've got I've got some uh, I've got some serious suspicions that that uh, you know if they if they can hang on to that Lincoln Kineholds kid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I've got mm-hmm. some. I've got some suspicions he may be the day one starter next year. If, if mm-hmm. I'm Dugan. And they're probably him, yeah. whispering that to him. I, why, why wouldn't you? Or, or you if you're worried him, about you know, Ohio hey, State. Hey, you're more, more than welcome to go to Ohio State and then, then do nothing afterwards. And then transfer back to us in a 24. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they just, I would just, if I were an NFL team, I'd just never. I would never draft a Ohio State quarterback. Well, don't say that. Maybe you're just saying that for a fact. Why? No, I I wouldn't. Okay, so if a John Elway type was suddenly an Ohio State quarterback in 2026, we don't want him. Hey, man. (laughs) Hey, you've got to follow the patterns, man. You also have to be pragmatic, man. Come on. <laughs> you could say in the last 15 years, I would not draft any of those quarterbacks from Ohio State, but you wouldn't say never. Who's the, who's the last Ohio State quarterback that was good? And I, I, that's the not NFL. the whole point. If if they had if they had if they never had a great a quarterback, it still wouldn't turn your back on somebody that was just lighting everything on fire in a good way and going, you know. That's my hope, the, well, the only point I'm making. Well, maybe that's why I'm not an NFL GM. <laughs> Neither am I the last I checked. But <laughs> Let's see here. We got Back to Pack and Mike Damone questioning each other's sexuality, all based on the fact that Back to Pack is watching World Cup this morning. <laughs> um, I, I, I just want to throw out there I know nothing about soccer. So. Me either, and I don't want to know anything. Yeah. Um, hey, has three questions. Let's see if we can zip through them real quick. Can we, the media, stop talking about Utah? No one repeats at this conference, and it played out entirely as predicted, except they escaped USC and Wazoo. Overrated QB, bad receivers, lucky to even be in the game with Oregon. Uh, Wooly kind of touched on that earlier, but I'm not anti-Utah. I think they're, you know, they're a solid football team. They deserve as much conversation as anybody else in the league this year. So, yeah, I don't. They're kind of still a glorified Mountain West program, and them being what they are is not a great testament to the Pac-12. But I mean, true, uh, they're they're fine. Um, I mean, that game last night was frustrating to watch because, in I feel like the fashion of what they are, I felt like they just kind of had to play have some sort of dynamic football and they easily can pull away that game. And they just put it. I, well, same, I think they're same, same for their game against Florida though. So yeah, exactly. Like they're limited. They are what they are. And if things set up right for them, they also get a lot like what the Cougs get. They get a lot of like, no one is up to play against them. Uh, so they get a lot of wins because it's like, they're never anyone's big game. Like, I guess this would be different maybe with, Oregon this year, they probably had that game circled, but 
them and the Cougs get a lot of teams that are like, oh, Utah, like, I guess, I don't really give a fuck. And then Utah sneaks up on them. So, yeah, they're fine. I don't, I don't think they're going to be like a powerhouse or anything. Um, so, no, I don't think the media should stop talking about Utah. Um, second question from Hay. Washington is peaking at the right time this season. What can WSU blah, 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 blah. what can WSU do to stop them besides Penix throwing a bunch of terrible picks? And I'm hearing my voice come back to me. Hopefully nobody else can hear this, but um shit. Okay, so I'll just keep talking through it. Um <laughs> we're nearing the end anyways. Uh so that my my point of view and then we'll go to Joey is that um what WSU could t- can do other than intercepting a bunch of Michael Penix passes is uh, I would say roll out all the trick plays you have, stretch the Huskies vertically as best you can, uh, fill our secondary with receivers running all over the place, and uh, and you're gonna you're gonna be able to strike three, four, five times. That's how I would uh, try to beat Washington. Their offense hasn't really. Their offense hasn't really done that this year. Um, you know, they're kind of a they're kind of a throw sideways uh, offense a lot this year. That that Cam Ward has been pretty underwhelming for you know even some of the most ardent Coog fans. You know, have been <laughs> underwhelmed and disappointed with him. You know, so. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you were them, you'd you'd, you'd say like, yeah, just just attack the uh, the husky corners or whatever. But yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if they're uh, I don't know if they're their offense is geared up that way. I I haven't really paid that much attention to them. I I've heard their defense is good, but um, you know, I I don't know. I don't know how good their their pass defense is. So. Okay, Willie, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think – I mean, I think I could easily see it being like the Oregon State game. Like, the Cougars have a pretty – one of the better defenses in the conference. They tackle well. They can rush the passer. Their defensive backs can cover the pass, which most teams in the conference can't. Uh, and then it's kind of be – if they could kind of make it like the Oregon State game and hold Washington uh, to a lower score then get some – Get some play. They have a better quarterback, and he's more, much more mobile than Oregon State. I could easily. I actually, I have a, do not have much confidence. I do not love the matchup uh, for the Huskies in this one. And the truth is, as much as we love Penix, and I'm included, like he against UCLA, he threw a couple really bad interceptions. Uh, he threw a pick mm-hmm. six against ASU. He threw a pick six against Oregon State. Uh, he threw an interception from the one-yard line against Oregon. I mean, he has – if they get into a tight game with the Cougs on the road, like, he can't fucking do that. Like, I mean, uh, we kind of all – I mean, I like Penix. I think part of what he makes up for it, because he, he doesn't really leave plays on the table, which I like. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he may, he's not – there's a lot of – people kind of got obsessed with, I think, especially in college football, I think – it was like around the Mariota time where everyone got obsessed with quarterbacks who like don't throw interceptions, but then like, uh, and just hated if someone threw like interceptions, but I prefer a guy who can, you know, he might throw one, hopefully only one, but he's also going to, 
he's going to fill up he's going to fill up the table. So, but yeah, I I feel like it's a game where he can't do that. Uh, he, he can't. He's not going to be able to get away with you know one, uh, even one pick six type situation or a goal line interception. So uh, I could easily see the Cougars winning this game, um, like twenty four to twenty one or something like like the, like mm-hmm. the Beaver game. And Michael Penix has been very, very fortunate from a weather standpoint this year. He's never had to deal. I think there was one game that was a bit windy, but he hasn't had to deal with uh, monsoons and trash bags blowing all over the place and that kind of thing. So, Yeah, I think the weather of course, from no. out, <laughs> the last I saw was it's supposed to be kind of be like what it was last night, like cold but dry, which is ideal Fine. for where they're going to be. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if they come out, I think that's going to be another game where you see the first couple drives Washington with the ball and it, it, it's going to determine a lot. Like if they come out and they can really move the ball the way they have against almost everybody else in the PAC 12, even in their losses, I'm like, I'll feel pretty good about it. Cause I think the Cougars can only win the game. If it's like a, they make it like an ugly 21 to 20 game. So let's see here. Go Dogs ST already made a reference about the announced attendance of 67,932, and we already joked about that earlier. Um, uh, the knowledge, I'm not going to read the entire paragraph, but it basically says what he says, what has WSU got to play for um, a week of pearl clutching concerning the mighty Coug until the Apple Cup will be a tough read. Um, and we kind of just addressed that with what we were just saying. Um, in WSU, they're probably feeling pretty good about themselves the way they're finishing up the season, and and I'm sure they would love a, a, to knock us off and be eight and four. So, um, Hay has a question here: over or under on how many go kooks from strangers you have no desire to interact with this week? Mm. Uh, so, I don't know, maybe uh, I, four. I don't. Yeah, I don't get as many. You know that we're, we're even in like kind of Skagit County is kind of a coog, you know, enclave. Kind of a coog county. <laughs> yeah, but but never uh, never get you know don't really necessarily get a lot of shit. So not Let's expecting see here. too much. And um, somebody asked about. Uh, Somebody asked about any suddenly seniors, and um, there was no. I I don't think there was anybody that uh, that basically got shown the day. I think there were, actually there was one like walk on or something that that. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he's probably just like retiring from football or something, but. There was no, there was no surprises or anything last night. And I'm seeing a bunch of cartoons of, it looks like people from Africa that are being worked as slaves in in pit uh, cutter, and preparing a massive stadium for the Cutter World Cup, Qatar. So not really in a, in the vein of what we're talking about here. Um, yeah, well, well, any of you people that that boycott you know, watching the live tour and then we'll turn on the world cup, you, you know, fuck you hypocrites. 
And then I have a very funny uh, soccer player flopping gif here. Um, but you can't see that if you're listening to the podcast, can you? So it looks like that's all the pertinent questions for for that. Um, so do, do we have any final thoughts as we wrap up this week and head into Apple Cup? Do we want to make predictions? I'll just say, you know, it, it's exciting to be 9-2, and 6-2 and two in the conference. And, you know, worst-case scenario now, uh, it looks like maybe the Holiday Bowl might be, the, even if they lose the Apple Cup, the lowest they can go is the Holiday Bowl. And that seems pretty surreal given where we were last year and after losing the two in a row. That's pretty awesome. And they could Great still go as high as, yeah, could still go as high as the Rose Bowl. So uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, that, that's not what I expected in a lot of, a lot of ways. So I could have seen a 10 and two season going in, but it's, it's, it's pretty good. So as mega, as mega Duke as I am, uh, you know, that's, it, it's a pretty good feeling. And uh, I did see a bowl projection uh, this morning that had uh, the Huskies in Texas in the Alamo Bowl. And I, I would hate, <laughs> I would hate, <laughs> I would hate to have to play an away game basically for your fucking bowl game, but that would be fucking awesome. I, I would, it, the day they announced that until the day they kick off, I would be so fucking excited to watch that goddamn game. Well, Penix would throw for about 480 yards and four touchdowns. We know that. And uh, their quarterback would be about 14 of uh, 45, but he'd throw for about 280. Um, And their running back would probably go for about 180. B. John Robinson. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the uh, uh, think think the Huskies win next week rather easily, say thirty four seventeen. And I was going to say Huskies win thirty five thirty one. Uh, I'm I'm saying Huskies twenty three twenty one. All right, and then whoever has the whoever's the furthest off of the score, whenever the next time we get together in person, that person has to buy a beer or Diet Pepsi for the for the for the group. Okay. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right, on that note, I'll talk to you guys next week. All right. All right. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Hardcore Husky Podcast. This show is copyrighted material. In other words, stop plagiarizing our shit, fuckos. So please tell a friend and rate us five stars on iTunes, especially you cheap bastards who don't donate. It's the least you could do. Yeah, I'm looking at you, creepy coog. And come join our fun at over at hu- hardcorehusky.com. We've got Husky Football, Yellow Snow's Record Shop, and our notorious Tug Tavern, which is sh- which is a shit show of politics and strange nudes. And if you enjoy yourself and are ready for the next level, level of cyber peyote. peyote, come join Swain's Wigwarm. <laughs> I'm going to have to read this over. Swain's Wigwam, yeah. Swain's Wigwam at Navajo Nation's gift to college football. It's also the official private club of hardcore Huskies. We're talking boobs, guns, and inside information, all for the low, low fee of $129 a year. Come join the fun. <laughs> I'll have to redo that one, but...